You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you. Uh, wait, I, f- I forget how to do this with people. You, you guys are out here. It is so good to see you. Welcome. As we continue to be the church right where we are. Welcome to the folks that are online. And we're glad that you're there and that we can be together with you. Welcome to the folks that are here, that I get to look in and see eyes and to see, to see your faces and even more to see your hearts. I'm especially glad to see families. It's so good to see our young ones. We're thankful that you're here. In fact, I'm going to need your help over the next few weeks. If you are one of our younger ones and you want to ask me a question, any question at all, not prompted by your parents, you can take a little video of yourself or maybe get a little help and ask a question. And we may do some things with that over the coming weeks. But we're glad that our young ones are here, as well as our young ones who might have gray hair. Welcome, welcome to all of you. You know, in times like this, when we talk about being the church where we are, we wonder what it means to be together. If we can be here and there, what does it mean to be together? To be a group of people? Is it something about being physically in the same place? Is there something about being on the same page where we think the same things? Or is there something different about what brings us together? You know, if I were to just welcome everyone here or just focus in on being back, that would give us the the sense that everything's normal, right? That we're back to things as normal, and in a lot of ways it doesn't feel like things are back to normal. Turn on the TV, we watch more and more chaos, more and more division, and it rips our hearts out. And we've been together in this very difficult time asking the question of what now? And this week and next week, I want to ask a question that's a little more expanded. What now can Christians do? Because we're getting to a point where we can ask that of ourselves as of believers. What now can Christians do when we face this health issue? When we face all kinds of protests? Discussions about police or police brutality. Thinking about different stances here, there, and everywhere. And so this is what I want you to do today. Is that imagine that you have been tapped on the shoulder and asked to lead a constructive discussion. Right? Getting together a group of people, you've been asked to lead the discussion. And you know that this group of people is going to be diverse racially, They're going to be diverse religiously. They're going to be diverse politically. But you're the one that's been tapped on the shoulder to lead this discussion. Think about that for a minute. What what would be your guidelines, your rules for that discussion? Would you have a rule? What, What could you possibly do when you know that it's going to be an explosive discussion kind of changes things, doesn't it? Because it's pretty easy for us to have an opinion, for us to have a view, 
That's, that's easy, maybe even to state that opinion, but what if we're to get in a room and try to lead a discussion forward? What would you do? Is there a principle, is there a guideline that you could use? That's what we're going to spend our time with today. Because as we get to this uh, challenge of what it might be to lead a discussion like this, we're coming to the end of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And Paul provides a guideline, a rule, something that we could put into our minds. It, it might even could function as a lock screen saver on our phone. A little sticky note reminder of, okay, don't forget, I've got to do this in the discussion. Let's read. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and if you want to, if you're able to, stand, or you can just give attention to the Word by standing in your heart. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-15. But we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and have charge of you in the Lord, and to admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak. Be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. The Word of the Lord. You may be seated. So this axiom, this rule that Paul has, we need to set up with a little bit of background. Because Paul started a church from square one. People that were very different from one another. People that believed in many gods or in only one God. People that were different ethnically and racially. They even spoke different languages. Christianity is even brand new during this time, and Paul calls them all together and then gets pushed away. So he's having to lead them from far away. And he provides them a very important guidance, a very important rule that I want to share with you today. I mean, this rule gets at the complications of what it might be to organize, or to lead, or to guide a group of people. It's very hard whenever folks are so different to work together towards what needs to happen. It might be comparable to two people coming together to be married. They come from different families and different backgrounds, different ways of doing things. Do some of you remember what this is like? Do we put the glasses in the pantry with the rim up? Or does the rim go down? Do we roll the toilet paper from the top, or does it come from underneath? Right? I mean, all these silly things that we like to joke about. Some of them, you know, are pretty light. Some of them are a little more difficult. We can give and take with a few, but we might be more entrenched with others. Or maybe it's like a blended family, where you've got two people coming together, and not only are they two individuals, but they've had two different marriage experiences of what's normal. And they bring kids into the equation. And those kids have their own view of what's normal. It might be a little bit like that. But it's also kind of different, right? When you bring together a group of different people, they don't have the benefit of puppy love to kind of draw upon. 
They don't have the benefit of a marriage contract to say, hey, we're in this. We love one another. It's a little more difficult when these people have explosive views and divergent views. So the axiom, the principle, comes to us in verse 15. Let's look at it here. See to it that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. All right, this is the principle that I'm going to offer to you today that could guide these difficult conversations. And I want to look at it as a refrain because it's a loop that needs to play in our minds and in our hearts. It's something that we can peel off layer by layer. Okay? So let's do that. Seek to do good. Wow, can you visualize that? If you come into this conversation, how can we seek to do what is good? Now he doesn't say outstanding. He doesn't say change the world, world beater, but what's good? What's appropriate? What's necessary? Can we visualize what it would be to do what is good? Now in our world, especially in our country, we're not used to just doing things good. We want to be the best. We want to be first. We like the story of the rags to riches. We like that jumping from Last place to first place. We move forward into finding the cure. Being the hero. Anointing the hero. But I'm talking about doing what's good. In the moment. The simple, pure good. Sometimes that's not so difficult to just know what is the good thing to do. What's good for another. You know, when the phone drops. When a harsh word has been spoken when someone has been crushed, how do you step in and do what's good? To do what's right for another person. So here's the layers. First, this seeking to do what's good. And if you're doing good, it's going to be for another. That's the next layer here. Paul says, seek to do good for one another. A lot of times we think about good in terms of what's good for me. What's good for my reputation? What's good for my personal benefit? What's good for my pocketbook? On and on it goes, right? And we might secondarily be interested in the good of another, but first and foremost, it's what's good for me. Well, we don't need to be justifying our good by what's good for us. Because sometimes, a lot of times, Doing what's good may not be good for me at all. It may cost me extra time. It may cost me extra money. Or a higher level of patience. Right? It's sometimes very difficult to do what is good for another. But, whenever they see it, and they know what you've done, and they know where you stand, and they know that you've paid them or you've thanked them, and they know that you didn't have to do it. It wasn't even in your best interest. Wow, that means so much more to them. Whenever you and I make this intentional choice to do what is good, what's best for another person, that is a turning point. 
Now you, who am I talking to? You guys are naturals at this. So many of you have spent your life looking for tasks to be done, standing in gaps, identifying needs. In, in fact, in the last uh, you know, 14 weeks, this will be the 15th, this building has been cared for. People have come and fixed things and trimmed things and cleaned things and snuck around and prayed for this space. Not just a building, but you guys have been sending notes and making phone calls and doing tasks that no one else notices. You've done this stuff behind the scenes, not drawing any attention to yourself. It's not really anything good that comes to you. You're doing a good for another. That's wonderful. Some of us, a lot of what we do is visible. And we kind of get used to the affirmation side, right? Our doing of good becomes the affirmation that we get. Now, it'd be good if you know, we were able to do some amens and whatnot, but maybe you've been on, on this front before where you kind of start to miss the affirmation, right? You didn't, you didn't get in it to do what's good for the praise, but sometimes those of us that are helpers, we start to kind of notice if someone doesn't notice what we've done, right? And we want that. Is it possible for us to cut those strings, those attachments of needing to be affirmed or needing to be thanked so that we can simply do what is good for another? Because we know who sees. Whenever it's not noticed, it's God who sees. And let me tell you, God is not going to let that go unnoticed. In fact, it's almost better when those sneaky acts of good are done and God is the one that's able to do the rewarding. All right, I think you're tracking with me pretty well so far. That's good. Do, seeking to do good. Not great, but good. Do what is solid and pure and simply good. And to do that for another. Well, I would have been fine if Paul would have just stopped right there. Would have been great. But look at how he phrases it in verse 15. Seek to do good to one another and to all and to everyone. Not just your friends. Not just your advocates, but your enemies, your opponents, the people that don't like you, the people that are not kind, the people that are not just, the people that don't like your comments and give you a thumbs down. Everyone. Now, of course, we know that in the original languages, Paul didn't really mean this. Didn't mean this at all. He didn't mean every. No, no, everyone. Seek to do good to one another and to all. There's no way to explain this away. It's very, very important. You know, if we think about this, of stretching beyond those that we like, stretching beyond those that are even likable. We have to think about the voices that are playing in our head or the voices that we're listening to. And if those voices are pushing us towards sameness, if they're pushing us towards hate, if those voices are pushing us towards revenge, those are not the voices of Jesus. Because what Jesus says is, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Turn the other 
cheek, right? So if we are hearing ourselves, they got what they deserved. Well, they wouldn't appreciate it, right? If we say these things. If they're going to go on complaining on and on, why don't they just get over it? If we hear ourselves saying those things, we are not speaking with the voice of Jesus. We're speaking with our own voice. Because the voice of Jesus comes in very loud, very clearly in Matthew 5, of loving your enemy, praying for those who persecute you. In fact, Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, we get a sense of what should be done whenever someone wrongs you or whenever someone thinks differently from you. This becomes difficult. Now, let me make a little clarification here. When we talk about loving our enemy, when we talk about doing good to one another and to all, I don't want you to hear me saying, oh, this is a good principle that we can apply to someone else. Right? I just wish they'd pay attention to this. I wish they'd listen. No. No, no, no. The only one that you can control is yourself. Right? This is about how we view our enemy, how we view our opponent, how we view someone who's different from us. Now if we look, the, the, the verse, this verse 15, opens up with a stunner. Do not repay evil for evil. That's how the axiom gets set up. Don't repay evil for evil. Now it's so rare to find leaders in the public eye that model this. Because most of the leaders that we see that we like that are strong are, you strike me, I'm going to strike you harder. You embarrass me, oh, you better get ready. I'm going to de-pants you quickly. I'm going to embarrass you. If you throw a zinger in my way, man, I'm going to zing you like you've never, no, you're not going to get up from this one, right? The, this is the kind of leadership that we see modeled. Repay evil with evil. And, you know, we've seen it. You know, think about families, you think about couples, or in your workplace, there's a disagreement. Maybe there's a post, a repost, a back and forth, a discussion. Going back and forth, the tension begins to increase, the volume begins to raise, the spiritual weapons come out, the, the verses come out, the verbs come out, we're ready to attack, we're ready to have our blood pressure just pop through our heads. It's as if our ears have stopped and our mouths are very open and our fists are clenched to attack. So question. If we look at Paul, if we look at Jesus, when is it ever appropriate to use evil for evil? When is it ever appropriate for a Christian to take revenge? I think the answer is probably never. It's not appropriate for a Christian to take revenge. It's not appropriate for a Christian to take evil and manipulate it and think that somehow they have the power to use that evil for good an evil word, an evil person, an evil thing. Taking revenge into our own hands is not something that we need to do. You see, it's up to us. It's up to you and I to break this cycle. 
Because whenever we use evil, we are creating more evil. We're not stopping evil, we're perpetuating it. And I'm not talking about you zipping your lip and walking away and being silent. There's a silence that's an apathy. I'm talking about staying engaged and when someone comes at you to get very curious, to ask questions, because there's probably something that we don't understand, something that, I don't know if you're like me, but where I'm too hard-headed to understand why I haven't gotten this thing. And so I get curious and I stay engaged and I ask questions and I listen. And where appropriate, it's good to expose evil, whether that evil is in within me or something that I'm hearing. Right? Not associate that evil with the person, but be able to expose it and say, does that make sense? Are you with me on this? Where we stay engaged and we're curious and we ask questions and we listen and we walk away from what is evil. The good news is you don't have to have the last word. That's another part of this. You don't have to. You can, you can lose, and it's all right. If it is so important of a point, if you lose it, don't worry. Someone else will fill in the gaps later. Instead, we can show love and show engagement by letting them have the last word. Now, we've seen this, haven't we? We've seen it on social media. Oh, man, let's just talk Albuquerque. Are we hot around the collar just yet? Right? Let's just talk about Albuquerque. Two weeks ago. A couple of cousins, not far from here, uh, having a disagreement over Facebook, of all things. The disagreement was not about Facebook, it was on Facebook. And they go back and forth and back and forth. We don't know what it was. Was it money? Was it family? Was it something political? I don't know. But a family member dies, and they're both to be at the funeral. The funeral home could not contain the anger because one person brings a gun to the funeral and begins shooting. Now, just, just think about that. Does that solve anything? Do we, by matching evil with another evil, do any good? No. I mean, what are they fighting about? Who loves the guy in the casket more? Come on, it's dishonoring to that person. Now, last week, we, our attention was drawn to our own statues, right? One person wanting, or a bunch of people wanting to pull down a statue, and other people wanting to keep it up, right? All this difficult rigmarole, and a former uh, person who wanted to go for city council pulls out a gun and shoots after he'd whipped a person down. Now, let that go. Let's not worry about statues. Let's not worry, because so much has happened even since then. Let's not worry about what we think on those things. Let's step out of the heat of the summer. Let's pull back and ask ourselves, what's the good that we could do? What's the good word that we could say? How could we seek and work for what is good for another and for all? It doesn't solve the problems that are in front of us, does it? No. They're real. They're difficult. But it gives us a place to stand. It gives us a way of thinking as Christians of how can we do good to one another and to all. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our King. He's the one who lives and reigns. We believe in the crucifixion of Jesus. 
Now, probably you're like me. Sometimes I believe more in the crucifixion of Jesus than I do in my crucifixion. Right? I'm, yeah, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, but am I going to surrender my life for Jesus? Am I going to surrender what I think is best for Jesus? Am I going to work for what's best that may not be for me, but it may be for others because I'm surrendered to Jesus Christ? How can I surrender that win to pursue what is good? Well, this is quite a little passage. In fact, this verse 15 really opens up a lot, and it shows us an answer to the question of how Paul organizes the church. We'll close by quickly looking at how this axiom lays it out. If you look in verse 12 and 13, he, as he jumps into this, he says, if you're going to organize a group, if you're going to make things work, respect your leaders. Esteem them in love. And first Christian is that kind of a place. I mean, it was brought up in the prayer. Honoring the elders, honoring the ministers, respect. That, that is something that I've seen time and time again here at first. And that's not always easy for people to do. It's easier to do the flip side, to complain or to gripe or to question somebody's character along the side, right? But not here, not at first. We respect and we honor one another. We defer to one another. Because they work hard. They've been given a great responsibility, the leaders that serve among us. And so they are due thanks. And I would encourage you, please thank your elders. They've done a phenomenal job. Please thank these leaders for what they have done. Uh, PD has helped keep it light so many times. I don't know about you guys, but this is my first pandemic. So we're kind of learning as we go. You know, that, that's the right answer, right? It takes it away if we don't have to be experts on this. We are learning our way even today. So respect your leaders. That's, that's a big part of it. But then the second one is in, down in verse 14. A serve, serve people appropriate to them. And there's a list of things here. Like undisciplined people or those that aren't doing anything. Maybe a little lethargic. Those leaders are to prod them. To poke them. To be involved. To be uh, active. Or if there's someone that's burned out, they're faint-hearted, what's the appropriate response? Well, you don't poke and prod the burned out. You encourage them. Do you see that appropriateness of leadership, of those that serve? Or if they're weak, you again don't pile up burdens on the weak. You assist them. You come alongside them. And I love that this is how Paul organizes this church from afar. Seek to do good to one another and to all. Honor your leaders. Serve the people appropriately. And so we get something of our answer to our question that I posed to you at the beginning. of How do you lead a group when things might be difficult? Is there an axiom? Is there a guideline that we can follow? And, and there's one. There's one that's here. That if we're to be the church together, whether we're here in this physical place or where we are most of the week, out in the community, this is a good guideline that we can never, never focus on repaying evil with evil. That's too easy. That's what non-believers do. We don't repay evil for evil. We seek to do good for all. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful that 
that you haven't repaid us for the evil that we've done. That you keep working with us and you're patient with us. Wow, thank you. Thank you for what you've shown us in Jesus that we constantly keep coming back to. This touchstone of our faith, this bedrock, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Would you help us? Help open up our eyes to seek to do what is good to one another and to all. Be curious with our questions to stay engaged, to seek to learn so that you can do what we need so desperately, which is to grow, to grow deeper in grace, grow deeper in mercy. We thank you and we praise you through Jesus' name. Amen.